This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife and by Folklore Brewing and Meadry, quite literally the best brew in Alabama. Visit FolkloreBrewingAndMeadry.com. You are listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host tonight, Sean Dietrich, coming to you live via the podcast airwaves and radio waves all over this fine nation. Got a great show lined up ahead of you here tonight, a great show. This group you see behind me here, Fix to Play Music, for you is the Fireside Collective, everybody, the Fireside Collective.
she's sliding, now she's falling, and I'm trying to forget her, cause I know it's too late. program is brought to you by visitnorthalabama.org, the Mountain Lakes Tourist Association. Visit the 16 North Alabama counties and make this state what it is. Let's talk barbecue here for just a minute. You can visit the Mud Creek Restaurant in Hollywood, Alabama, off County Road 213. You can get the tenderest pork you ever had. Or how about New Market Barbecue in New Market, Alabama, off Winchester Road. When you visit, tell them Sean sent you. And watch their eyes go blank when they answer who in the Sam Hill is Sean. And if you're sick and tired of having low cholesterol, get to Florence, Alabama, and visit Smokin' on the Boulevard restaurant. You can taste dry rub meat, slow smoked over hickory coals. It will change your life, bless your heart, and make a believer out of you. So go visit the North Alabama Barbecue Trail today, because whatever you do, you can do it better in North Alabama. So visit NorthAlabama.org or hashtag VisitNorthAL. Now let's have another tune here from the Fireside Collective, everybody.
Dear Sean, I've just started learning bluegrass violin, and it is the hardest thing I have ever done. I'm 14 years old, and I just started playing with some guys my mom found on the internet. They're old men. I play with them in their living room, and it's the most fun I've ever had. I don't have a grandpa anymore, so this is pretty cool. And they say I'm good. One day, I hope to be on your show, Mr. Sean. Do you think that's possible? Kyle, I'd say it's more than possible. I'd say it's inevitable. We're saving your place right here when you're ready. Stephanie from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I think I said that right. Dear Sean, I have no idea how I found your stuff, but I have been wanting to email you for some time now. And to tell you that I'm about to finally graduate from nursing school after being in school for what feels like forever. My son has actually been the one to help me get through school. And that's what I wanted to tell you about. He's 12 years old and sometimes our teachers let us use open notes for tests. It's whatever I can fit onto an index card is what I can use. It feels like cheating but I don't really care because I've often considered cheating my way through nursing school to begin with. (laughs) So I get my son to write my notes with his super tiny handwriting and an entire book's worth of stuff on an index card. Sean, he is a freak of nature. You have never seen handwriting this small. Nobody can believe how much text he can fit on that card. I have to take a magnifying glass to class for test day but I ace every test it takes him hours to write all this information out for me but he does it and he does it because he's the kind of kid who would do that for his mom also because I pay him 50 bucks (laughs) he's a businessman but he's also a really really great kid and I'm proud to be his mom Well, Stephanie, good luck with nursing school, and maybe by the time it's all said and done, your son will hold a nursing degree, too. Frederick in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dear Sean, my dad is turning 90 years old, and we never thought that he would survive his first grandchild. But he did. He did, and he loves his grandbabies. He's been a great babysitter to me and to my family. 
My wife could not have made it without him. He has watched my son even though he is an older dad than most of my peers' dads. And he could have turned us down anytime he wanted and said, no, 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 I don't feel like babysitting tonight. I'm too tired. But he never did that, not once. He always accepted. He always babysat. Sean, he is my champ. Wish him a happy birthday from me. He'll hear it because he's the one who introduced me to this geriatric podcast. (laughs) His name is James. Well, dear James, on behalf of everyone here tonight, happy 90th birthday. (laughs) Ashley P. from Bluffton, South Carolina. Dear Sean, I appreciate the stories. I have one of my own, if you have a second. When I was a girl, I was walking to school one day with some friends, and I really liked this cute boy who was in my class who was walking to school with us. And we got to talking. And that day, so long ago, we decided that we would be sweethearts, even though he smelled like a big old armpit. (laughs) But most boys do, and I think we were five or six, Sean. We've been married for almost 30 years now. It took us one failed marriage apiece to learn that people out there are not always kind-hearted like you expect them to be. In fact, people out there are psychos. (laughs) But we were meant for each other, and it took us a long time around the horn to figure that out. And how many people have you met that you can say met their sweetheart when they were five or six years old? Not many, I guess. Wanda from Fort Myers, Florida. Sean, I wanted to say that my son and his wife are going to expect their first baby, and I am just beside myself. My husband and I have always wanted to be grandparents, and my eldest boy didn't want to have kids for the longest time because he's a selfish toad. (laughs) But my youngest is now having a boy, and I am going to be a grandma. Truthfully, I don't want to be called a grandma. I don't think that that befits my youthful appearance So I hope they call me Nana or something less old lady sounding. Thanks for the show. Well, dear Wanda, congratulations from everybody here. Kai from Sacramento, California. I had a feeling that you'd like to hear this story, so I took a chance and sent it to you, Sean. I was on my way home from work when I left my building and I saw a cat sleeping on my car in the parking lot one night. Finally, we took that, that step where I took him home by letting him into my car. And we became very close friends, Sean. I'm not lying when I tell you that as a member of the male gender, it almost killed me to have him neutered. <laughs> but we're still hanging in there. Well, Kai, I think we all express our deepest sorrows over the loss of his genderhood. (laughs) This next letter is from Raya or Raya from Vancouver, Canada. Raya or Raya. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that. I studied parallel parking in college. (laughs) Dear Sean, I have never visited the U.S. before. And I've lived in Canada for my entire life. I've always wanted to visit but I've always been a little bit afraid at the same time. 
but I do like your show. I don't know how I got hooked up listening to it, but I feel that it sort of connects me with that culture down there below our borders, and it makes me want to visit just a little bit. I'd like to see some of the regions you talk about in the southeast. So my husband and I went out on a limb and spent a lot of money buying tickets and booking rooms and planning a trip to do a comprehensive tour of the United States. We are going to start in New York and we are going to drive and see everything all the way to California, at least the major sites. So far, we are planning to have it take two months to see it all. And I'm sure when we are done after spending that long together in a car or in tiny hotel rooms that we will either be tired of each other or we will be divorced or dead. (laughs) But this show was actually one of the catalysts to help us make up our minds. And I wanted you to know that because you make America sound warm and fuzzy. You make it sound like a lot of friendly people down there. I hope you weren't lying. (laughs) So keep up the great stories. And thanks again, your friend from Canada, Raya Oriah. Well, dear Raya Oriah, we are looking forward to having you. I do hope you get to spend some time at least down along the Gulf Coast of Mexico and get to see the crystal clear waters, the emerald green, big blue drink, and the flower white sands. And if you do, just make sure you avoid Panama City because that place ain't nothing but tattoo parlors and t-shirt shops. Other than that, welcome to our area. Braden from Fernandina Beach, Florida. Sean, I was 10 years old when my mother passed away, and I never had anyone to step in and fill that role for me until a few years ago when I met this lady at a grocery store. It was purely by chance, but we hit it off in line, talking there in the supermarket, waiting to pay for our stuff. She was about the age of my mom, or at least the age my mom would have been had my mom not passed away. And I fell in love with her gentle disposition. She's been there for me through all the junk I've gone through this past year, and I've been through a lot of junk, believe me. But I'm no different than anybody else. This year has been hard on everybody, I suspect. Even so, it feels good to have somebody in your life who fulfills that surrogate mother role. She even attended a banquet at my work, an award banquet, where I received a pretty prestigious award, at least in my field. And see, usually I would be at these banquets with nobody in my cheering section, but there she was, cheering me on and screaming in the back row. It was maybe one of the greatest feelings in my life to have somebody love me, like that, to, to see somebody visibly showing their affection to me in public. I never thought I would have a mother or a mother figure, but I do now. I do now and I'm lucky. I thought I'd tell you that story because I thought you'd like to hear it. Your listener, Braden. Well, dear Braden, I leave you with a quote by Abraham Lincoln who had many great quotes, but this one happens to be one of my favorite. And he said, all that I am and all that I ever hope to be, I owe to my mother. And this next quote is from me. 
And it's for everybody who's listening here who is out there driving throughout traffic and listening to us on their radio or on a treadmill or out exercising and listening to us on their earbuds. This is for you. If you have a moment, hit the pause button on your phone. Pick up your phone right now and call your mama. And that's letters from our listeners. Letters from our listeners. Now we're going to have another tune here from the Fireside Collective, everybody. The Fireside Collective. Fast train, fast train, take me down the line.
We had some cold weather a few weeks ago, sleep through the northwestern part of Florida, West Florida. Like a veritable, like a veritable nightmare. It came downward to the southeast all the way to the western part of Florida and the Gulf Coast. And it hit Okaloosa, Walton, and parts of Bay County. And snow was seen overnight, very, very light flurries that disappeared by morning, but snow. And to my knowledge, some of the old-timers locally were saying we hadn't had snow like that since 1964. Those old-timers said that their teeth had never chattered like that. Their teeth had not stopped chattering, not even when their teeth were in the glass of water beside their bed. (laughs) It was an interesting experience to see that kind of cold in northwest Florida. There were fundamentalist Pentecostals and primitive Baptists standing on their front lawns with their arms outstretched wearing white robes looking up at the sky expecting for something apocalyptic to happen. And they looked upward into that blue sky and they said, take me now, Lord, take me now. And all their neighbors, their sinful neighbors who were only Sunday and Wednesday churchgoers looked at their fundamentalist brethren standing in their front yards and their neighbors also looked up at the sky and said, you heard them, Lord, take them now. (laughs) And my cousin called me and he said he had something he needed my help with and could I come over as quickly as possible because he needed another set of hands. And so I said, sure, why not? He said, bring your toolbox. So I went out to my little work shed and I got my toolbox I got into my truck and I set off to find my cousin's house and my cousin lives in a big subdivision it's one of them giant subdivisions that you need a GPS to find one single house because all the houses look the same they are all the same shape same design same roof line They have the same number of windows, the same number of Adirondack chairs sitting in the front. They have the same number of obligatory ferns hanging from the porch. They have the same kinds of play school toys sitting in the front yard, the same kind of grass mowed to the same length, and the same kind of swing set in the back, the same shade of pastel grays or greens or yellows or pinks. The same making bottle of vehicle sitting in the front driveway, either a Kia, a Nissan, or a Prius. I had to plug his address in because I couldn't tell his house, which was gray with white trim, apart from the house next door to it, which was gray with white trim also. <laughs> so I was driving through endless figure eights and infinity circles in his neighborhood until I finally found his house and when I finally got to it I knew that it was his house because there was a gaggle of children who was moving through the driveway through the back gate like the children of Israel entering into Canaan land I went to the front door and I knocked on the front door with my toolbox and a little girl answered the door with several other little girls she stood behind the glass and she said state your business please I didn't recognize this girl. I said, who, who are you? I'm looking for my cousin. She said, well, I'm a neighbor girl. We're all neighbor girls. Uh, come right on in and wipe your feet, please. <laughs> when I walked in, there were several more children who were all waiting with some 
some wild anticipation in this house. And I looked and I saw my, my cousin's wife, Julie, behind the counter. And she was fixing snacks. This kitchen was torn apart. The, the countertops were dusted with flowers and crushed pretzels and, and little cans of condensed orange juice. And there were boxes of cereal. And she looked at me. She said, he's in the back. And her face resembled somebody who hadn't gotten sleep in roughly six years. There were so many children in this house, it was, it was unbelievable. And as I waded my way through this sea of towheads and redheads and miniature brunettes, I found my cousin sitting in the backyard, knelt in the grass in front of this box that was roughly the size of Indonesia. And on the front of this cardboard box, it said, some assembly required. (laughs) And when he cut that box open, about 6,952 parts fell into the grass. (laughs) Steel parts, nuts and bolts of varying sizes and diameters and millimeters were all scattered along the grass and the children backed up. And my cousin said, this is going to take a while. (laughs) I remember when my old man brought home a trampoline from work. I will never forget it. I was just a kid. My daddy had gotten a trampoline on a layaway, he said, which was a big deal. Now, I come from frugal people. I come from humble, fundamentalist, frugal people who did not keep cough syrup in the cabinet for fear that it would lead to dancing. We were the kind of people who saved our newspapers and used them to wrap gifts with. We saved our tea bags and we sent them via the church program to the missionaries in mainland China. We were the kind of people who never, ever once left a light bulb on in a room that we were not physically standing in. (laughs) If you were to look at my house from a long distance away, you'd see little orange squares in the night Those windows, those little tiny orange squares flicker on and flicker off and flicker on and flicker off and flicker on and flicker off like a strobe light at a disco club. (laughs) Because we never kept the light on very long. As long as we were in the room, the light was on. As long as we were out of the room, the light was off. My father inherited his frugality from his father who inherited it from his father. Their frugality stretches all the way back to, to the old country where my ancestors come from. They say when my great-grandfather was dying, my frugal grandfather, great-grandfather, was laid up in his deathbed in his little farmhouse. And his whole family was gathered around his bed, and he could hardly see, half blind from diabetes. And he looked around that room full of people. He said, is everybody here? And his oldest daughter said, yes, Daddy, we're all here. We're all here. We're all gathered around you. He said, oh, Well, then if everybody's here, what in the name of God are the lights doing on downstairs? (laughs) So the idea that my father would splurge on a trampoline was almost unheard of. I could not believe that he would spend his hard-earned money on something designed for acrobatic play. It was the biggest thing to hit 
the kid telegraph when it happened, I will tell you. When my father brought that thing home in his truck, he and my uncle dropped that thing in the backyard and they opened it up and my father removed this wad, this big folded piece of black nylon material that was roughly the same curb weight as a Honda Civic. And they removed these large steel arms and they placed this frame together and that trampoline became the biggest thing in our six county area. Some kid came all the way from Greensboro just to see it. And after that, there was not a day that went by that there was not a kid jumping on that trampoline. If you would have passed by my house, you would have seen a 10 mile long line, single file of runny noses stretching from that trampoline all the way back to the curb of kids waiting their turn to jump on that trampoline and God willing, give themselves a subdural hematoma. (laughs) Because that was the height of our childhood. Now times have changed. And I do not recommend getting a trampoline. The Pediatric Association, I'm obliged to tell you, says that trampolines should not be used in American households because they pose a high risk of injury, a very high risk of injury. And if a family chooses to flaunt the laws and rules of the Pediatric Association and get a trampoline, they are highly, highly advised to clad their child in a helmet, a full body suit, knee pads, arm pads, shoulder pads, and a harness attached to a guide wire system suspended above the trampoline via a steel frame (laughs) and to wrap their trampoline in a mesh net. And I heartily recommend all this, but in my day, in my day, we were brazen enough to get on that black fabric trampoline and jump with nothing but our skivvies on. We would hold little, little cups of juice and we would drink and we would toss the juice into the air and we would jump into that, that long splayed stream of juice and try to swallow as much of it as we could. We were crazy. We learned how to do front flips and backward flips and somersaults. We learned how to double jump. We learned how to triple jump. We learned how to bounce people off the trampoline so far that they landed in another zip code. We did everything on that trampoline. We played truth or dare. We played spin the bottle. We did our first kisses on that trampoline. We ate lunch on that trampoline. I'll never forget when Donnie Randolph was mid-air and he collided with Bradley Wilcox's shin bone. It was a loud crack. And when they both came down on that trampoline, they bounced a few more times until their bodies came to an inert stop. And I looked at Bradley and I looked at Donnie and Donnie's nose was bright red and it was, it was bleeding. And he jumped off the trampoline and he ran straight home and he was screaming, Mama, Mama, Mama. And all us kids looked at each other with that, that very familiar look of childhood, this anxious look that we all give each other often. It's a look that says, don't look at me, I didn't do it. (laughs) Because we knew something was going to hit the fan and somebody was going to get in trouble. And sure enough, that next hour, storming up the driveway was Donnie Randolph's mother. She was walking up that driveway with her fists clenched and her mouth held tightly 
and her forehead was so hot I'm surprised it didn't melt her cat eye glasses. <laughs> she was so mad and steaming from the head that it's surprising that the starch wasn't taken out of her beehive hairdo. <laughs> and when she got to my father, who was sitting out in his work shed polishing the engine of his lawnmower, she said, I demand that you disassemble that trampoline right now. My son could have had his neck broken. He's lucky he ain't dead. I could sue you. And my father sort of looked at her, and he had this nervous look on his face. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I thought the kids loved it. I, they, they've been having so much fun. She said, you ought to take that thing down. It's a detriment to this neighborhood. And then she left. And so my father, cajoled by good sense, the good sense of motherhood and maternal affection, got his toolbox out one weekend and went to that trampoline and he started to dismantle the wonder of childhood. About 1,329 kids gathered around him to grieve and watch it go. And you could see children who were so overcome with mournfulness that they were renting their garments and throwing themselves in ashes and covering themselves in sackcloth and wailing at the sky and saying, please, Mr. Dietrich, please don't take the trampoline apart. And somewhere in the distance, I swore that I heard a trumpet playing taps. <laughs> and there were enough of these kids protesting and throwing themselves in front of the, t the trampoline, begging him not to take it apart, playing their air violin, that my father relented and decided, against better judgment, to leave that trampoline up. And my greatest memories of childhood were spent on that black fabric I loved that trampoline. When my father died, that trampoline sat in the backyard totally empty. It was almost like it ceased to exist. No kids came around anymore. There were no lines stretching back to the street. And nobody would bounce on it. At one time, at dark, you would always see a child bouncing on that trampoline and his mother would appear from nowhere and she would drag him home using solely her forefinger and thumb, pinching him by the earlobe. And she'd say, when I call you, you come home, Buster. But then it was just empty. Nobody was out there. And I'll never forget laying up on that trampoline with my sister, not playing on it, but laying on it, and looking at the sky above us and wondering where souls go after they depart from this earth. And my mother was watching us from the kitchen window sit on that trampoline. And I remember, remember a look kind of came over her face. And she came out and she said, I want you off that trampoline right now. Get off, get off, go inside, go inside. And she walked out to the work shed and she got a toolbox. And she started on dismantling that trampoline one spring at a time. And she did as much as she could, and then my uncle came over and he finished the rest, and they packed that trampoline back into this large brown box that had come in, and we watched, we watched it get wadded up into this little tiny insignificant ball of steel and nylon and springs. And it was like the end of an era. And then I remember that there was this family in our church who was going through very, very hard times. 
I remember my mother had been invited to a birthday party at this house uh, to bring us to a birthday party. It was for a birthday party for the oldest kid. They had three kids. And my mother went out to the shed where she kept this big box, this deceased trampoline. And we loaded it into the back of the truck. And we drove across town to get to this birthday party where all these children were standing outside. And my mother and a few guys from the party, a few dads came out and they lifted that heavy box from the truck and they brought it to the backyard and they dumped it out like fathers have been doing for generations and they looked at all the springs and the different diameters of bolts and steel arms and the huge wad of nylon that weighed more than a bird bath. And they looked at it and they looked at each other, the fathers did, and they said, we're gonna need more beer. And they set that trampoline up in the backyard and the children with their little pointy birthday hats were just wide-eyed with anticipation. I remember standing there in the back behind all these children watching that trampoline get assembled one piece at a time. My mother used to make us dress up for birthday parties in those days. You had to dress up for things. I was wearing a sweater and a button-down shirt, a pair of khakis, and Thank God I wasn't wearing a necktie. (laughs) And I felt so lost when the first child climbed onto that thing and they started bouncing up and down. A little girl climbed up on the trampoline fabric and she was wearing this little pink hat with ribbons poking out of the top and in her left hand she had an ice cream cone that was pink ice cream and in her right hand she had an ice cream cone that was brown ice cream and she jumped up and down and up and down and her dress was was fluttering around her like a parachute and more kids climbed up onto that black fabric and they jumped up and down until there were about 17 children on one trampoline and the fathers were sitting back and they were laughing and watching and children fell off and they laughed and they giggled as they hit the grass and they climbed right back on and they jumped until another kid fell off and hit the grass and spun. And I watched the whole thing from a distance with my kid sister. And I felt these big old hot peach-sized tears come to my eyes and they started rolling down my cheeks. I was happy actually. I could have been sad, I guess, and I should have been sad. And even thinking about it now, it kind of sounds, you know, very sad, but I was happy. I was happy because my dad loved to watch children laugh. He really did. And so when I finished helping my cousin set up his trampoline, when it was finally done, we did the little test, which was to bounce a quarter off the black fabric. If it bounced, then you knew it was ready. If it didn't bounce, then some of the spring's tension wasn't just correct. And so we walked around and we flipped a quarter off it. It bounced, just like the manual said it should. And all the kids were were looking at us and their faces were just electric with the joy of childhood. They said, is it ready? Is it ready? My cousin said, almost. We have to have it christened first. So everybody bowed their heads while my cousin said a few words. He said, Lord, if any child among us here injures oneself while jumping on this trampoline, their blood is on their own heads. (laughs) 
and the legal obligations thereof, dear Lord, do not belong to the owner of this residence. And when his words were finished, the children looked at each other. He said, can we get on? He said, not yet, not yet. We hadn't finished christening it just yet. And I, my, my cousin removed his overshirt to expose his scrawny chest wearing his little white undershirt. And he crawled up onto that trampoline. He said, come on, Sean. And I got up onto that trampoline. And we proceeded to bounce like the biggest couple of idiots you ever saw in your life until he and I both fractured and ruptured L4, L5, and S1. <laughs> I double-bounced him so high that he flung off that trampoline and nearly landed on the roof of his own house. And he did the same to me, and we laughed. I laughed so hard that my throat hurt when it was all over because <laughs> there's nothing more fun than being airborne and laughing midair. And all I can say is I hope my father, wherever he was, was looking down from the banisters of heaven and watching what was going on with me and my cousin. Because if he would have been watching, he would have seen me laugh. And as I said, there's nothing more that my father loved than to see children laugh, even overgrown middle-aged ones. And there is nothing quite as fun as laughing midair when you're on a trampoline. Hey, thank you very much for having me this evening. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host tonight, Sean Dietrich, and man, it's been a bona fide privilege coming to you live via these podcast airwaves and radio waves like we do each week. This episode was brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family day, like my granddaddy. He once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. And by Folklore Brewing and Meadery, quite literally, the best brew in Alabama. Visit Folklore Brewing and Meadery.com. That music you heard behind me tonight was the Fireside Collective Band. When they hit the music scene in Asheville, North Carolina five years ago, the scene was never the same. They blend a characteristic interplay of instrumentation and harmonies with bluegrass sounds, folk, blues, funk, and a wide variety of other musical styles to create a body of music that is all their own. Joe Cicero, Jesse Iaquinto, Alex Genova, and Carson White, and Tommy Marr bring a strong original voice to the genre of bluegrass. Do yourself a favor and visit firesidecollectiveband.com and download their music today. You will not regret it. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit seanofthesouthshow.com. There you can find archived episodes dating all the way back to our first episode, all the way to this episode, which you just heard, although I don't know why. You must have terrible taste in podcasts. I'm already there. I hope you get time to drop me a line. Tell me about your birthday announcements, wedding invitations, or potluck socials. And I'll do my best to read that stuff over there for my friends, because I love to do that sort of stuff for my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, anything good in your life can always be traced back to either mama, God, or saturated fat. Adios.